will, turn in your Bibles to the 12th chapter, book of 1 Corinthians, as we continue our study through the Word. So you'll remember that Paul had taken an extensive section to answer the issue and deal with the issue of meat offered to idols and you remember that uh, in conclusion, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. And, and so your religious, your spiritual freedoms have a limitation of love to them. If my freedom is going to hurt somebody else, then we shouldn't exercise a freedom that is going to, to harm somebody. And so Paul ended by saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. This is the pattern that Paul had set down, and, and so he exhorts those in Corinth to now follow in that same example of loving uh, others. We see that Paul then moves uh, on to deal with the issue of head coverings or veils, and, and really that's the the conversation, you know, that deals with the battle of the sexes. And, you know, God created male and female. And then the relationships between men and women throughout in the history, we see the struggle between men and women as to their relationships. Oftentimes, in many male-dominant societies, we see that there was this devaluing of women. There have been abuses against women to where they, have been in some cultures even lowered all the way down to to one step above property and and so whenever there are these injustices we see that there is then the the pushback the pushback of women to be valued the pushback of women to be equal to men and so we have the battle in cultures throughout the world since time began between what we would call chauvinism and feminism chauvinism the heart of chauvinism is the belief uh, that men are superior to women and so they are in dominant societies they believe that they are to lead and rule because they are better than they are superior to and so that creates that injustice to women feminism is the response to that injustice feminism is the pushback and the demand to be treated equal to men and so we have this this back and forth in cultures throughout in history the the issue in the time that paul is writing in corinth was no different very male dominant society the uh, the women were treated poorly in the roman and greek cultures and and so there was a strong feminism movement that was pushing back and and demanding that they be treated more equal and and so paul now weighs in on this issue as that cultural battle between men and women found its way into the uh, the church itself so when when we look at the relationship relationship between men and women we have to understand the divine aspects with regard to the sexes we there are four divine aspects and as christians and as believers we need to understand those and recognize what what those are first of all there is a divine order or a divine authority that god established paul you saw in in our last chapter said that you know christ is the head over man man is the head over a woman and and god is the 
head over Christ. We see that this is the divine order. So God has established that divine order. Secondly, though, there is a divine equality. We see that God has created men and women to be absolutely equal. We are equal in value before the eyes of our Father. And so, yes, there's a divine order, but there is also a divine equality between men and women. Thirdly, there are divine roles. God has established the roles for the men, and God has established the roles for the women. And so we have divine roles that God has created and established. And finally, there are divine genders. God is the one that created men, and God is the one that created women. And so those are divine genders. God is the one that established those. So we see in that battle between chauvinism and, and feminism, we, we see that chauvinism has the roles correct, but they've got the equality completely wrong. And then the feminists, they've got the equality correct, but they've got the roles wrong. Feminists now say that there are no roles and we're not going to be limited to roles. And we now you know, can function as interchangeable between men and women. And while men and women are completely equal, God said we are not interchangeable. And so hey, this is where feminism now uh, goes too far. And now we have transgenderism. And so in transgenderism, that is the throwing off of the of the divine genders that God has established. And so as a Christian, as we look at how men and women are to, to function with one another the way that God created us and designed us to, we need to be correct in all four or areas. We need to understand the divine order. We need to understand the divine roles. We need to define and recognize the, uh, the divine equality, and we need to recognize the, the divine genders. This issue of identity and roles and, and the balance between the sexes, we see that this is as relevant today in our culture as it was back then. It is a throwing off of the, of the divine in order to replace it now with, uh, with what makes sense to the culture at that time. And invariably, when you throw off the divine, when you try and improve upon God's design, you are going to run into a train wreck. And certainly, we see the train wrecks in history, the cultures, as they have battled through these areas. And so, Paul builds on those and, and helps us to recognize and understand. He moves off of that issue and heads over to the issue of the, of the agape feasts that were taking place, that potluck meal and the abuses that were happening. And these, in preparation for coming to the communion table, to coming to the Lord's table. And so, once again, that aspect of love. He keeps coming back to you know, loving others and preferring others. And this this is where the Corinthians in the church were falling down. And, and so there was gluttony and partying going on and selfishness and all of these things were taking place. And, and Paul says, you know, you're not exhibiting your, your Christian character at these love feasts. And so he, he calls them, you know, into question on their conduct. And then also he reminds them that that love feast is a preparation for going to the 
the Lord's table to, to celebrate communion. And so there is a necessary aspect of preparation of the heart when we are going to go to the communion table. In fact, Paul, in instituting and reminding them of the communion table, talks about and closes the chapter with talking about not receiving it in an unworthy fashion. And, and once again, we talked about that last time. What is an unworthy fashion? And that unworthy fashion means if you are not celebrating the lordship of Jesus in your life. Now, that could be because you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So the Lord's table is a time of celebrating the personal Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. And so if it's not reflective of that, then, then that would be hypocrisy to be celebrating something that doesn't have an underlying reality. So the unsaved person shouldn't be taking communion, but also there is that caution to the person that is in a lifestyle sin, that is in a sin that they're in rebellion against the Lord on and they haven't worked through that issue. And so those elements now of saying, Jesus, you are Lord over my life when that issue hasn't been resolved in, in your life, Paul says, resolve that issue and then come to the communion table. And so an unworthy fashion again would be representing that Jesus is Lord of your life when a practical reality is that I have an unsurrendered uh, area. An unsurrendered sin in your life when Jesus is not Lord, that's idolatry. That's when you've put the love of something above obedience to God. And so Paul says, work that out and then come to the communion table. As we come now to this next chapter, we see that Paul is going to be talking about spiritual gifts and, and the unity of the Spirit, but yet the diversity of the gifts that God has given. God has given the spiritual gifts to the church for the purposes of the building up, equipping, and edifying of the church. And so Paul is now going to tackle the diversity and the unity with regards to the spiritual gifts. We begin in verse 1 here, chapter 12, and it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And so here again, there was a lot of misunderstanding that was going on in the church with regards to spiritual gifts. I think today there is still confusion within the church at large with, with regard to spiritual gifts. And so Paul is going to try and bring edification, clarity now to the believers that were there in Corinth with regard to these spiritual gifts. He's, he says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. And therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So we read these, and without the context, it's, it's hard to understand exactly what Paul is talking about. But you have to remember the pagan culture that, that Paul is writing to these Corinthians and, and what they have been immersed in and that they have come out of. In the pagan cultures that were dominant during this time, there were individuals that were people looked at as being closer to God, that, that, that these were the spiritual people. And, and they would then you know, seek 
to draw from them their, their wisdom and their knowledge. And, and so oftentimes these, these religious leaders and peoples, they, they oftentimes were using trances. They, you know, they would go into you know, these trances or they would go into these ecstatic states. And then you know, these ecstatic states were you know, amazing. Look, look at them. Look at you know, what's going on. You remember the, the Oracle of Delphi, which was probably one of the most famous influential in the, in the Greek uh, uh, empire in the early days, well, the, uh, the, the Delphi at the Oracle of Delphi was this, uh, was this female that would, would breathe in toxic volcanic fumes until she passed out. And then when she was unconscious and she would start uttering in this unconscious state, the priests would record those utterances in the unconscious state and then they would interpret it and, th and this would be the, the, you know, the oracles of Delphi. So, so you know, these ecstatic trances and all these kinds of flopping arounds and, you know, and shaking all this, people thought, well, they're really more spiritual and, and, and look at you know, how amazing they are. So it seems like some of these, these ecstatic aspects started to creep into the the church there and people are looking at them and saying, oh wow, they're, they're the spiritual ones. Now, specifically it seems like there was this ecstatic state, you know, that would happen and then during that ecstatic state they would say, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that Jesus is accursed, you know, and, and Paul's saying, okay, let, let's, just, let's just draw the line right there. Anyone that's flopping around and says Jesus is accursed, that's not God speaking. That, that is not the Holy Spirit speaking. And so, you know, here he says, by the same fashion, he says, when, when you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you came to that moment, to that recognition that you're separated from God by your sin, and that you need a redeemer, that didn't happen on your own either. That was a move, that was a work of the Holy Spirit that took place in your life. No one can say, Jesus is Lord of my life unless the Holy Spirit has been at work in your heart, in your life, and led you to that. And so, you know, here Paul begins, you know, by discerning the Spirit that says, anybody that in any ecstatic state is saying that, you know, Jesus is a curse, that's not, that's not of God. And by the same token, no one can come into the kingdom apart from being drawn by the Holy Spirit in, in our lives. Verse 4, he says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. So here notice that he says, you know, those are two different spirits. A spirit that would say that Jesus is accursed is a different spirit <laughs> than, than the spirit that is going to say Jesus is uh, Lord. He says, now, with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a, a congruence to the gifts. Yes, there's different gifts, but there's one spirit. So God isn't going to say yes here and no here. God is never going to contradict himself. And so, yes, diversity, different gifts, but they're going to be in parallel and they're going to be in harmony, unlike the example that he had just given of the contradictory statements here. So there are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, 
but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So notice here in these three verses where we see the work of the Trinity. Notice that we see the work of the Spirit, the work of the Lord, and also the work of the Father. There are diversity of gifts. Those are the different gifts that that we see that are of the Holy Spirit. There are different ministries, and, and the Lord is the one who will call us to different ministries. And then there will be activities that God will call us to, spiritual activities. And, and so all of these now come from the same God. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And so the diversity of the spiritual gifts, we see that they are not meant to, to take and, and to exalt an individual. Once again, what was happening with these spiritual gifts is that people were looking at the spirit, different spiritual gifts and they're rating them. They're comparing them as to which is the better one and which is the lesser one. Because remember, they were competing with each other and bringing that competition into the the body of Christ and so they had taken that same carnal competitive attitude into the evaluation of the spiritual gifts and so uh, here again Paul is saying that the purpose of the gifts isn't to exalt an individual the purpose of the gift is for the blessing of the whole is for the blessing of the body he says for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of healings by the same spirit so uh, here we see you know four different gifts of the spirit that that Paul talks about and how they are given through the same spirit. The uh, word of wisdom is the unique ability to speak forth the wisdom of God, that in a circumstance, in a situation, the, uh, the wisdom of God. You remember when there were the two women that were fighting over the baby and they bring him to Solomon and, you know, and Solomon, you know, trying to reconcile whose child this is. He says, chop the child in half and give half to, to both, you know, and there was the one lady that said perfect you know and there was the other that said oh my gosh no give it to the, give it to her <laughs> and solomon says you are the you are the mother the one that would surrender that life in order to keep it whole that was that was the wisdom from god that was the the wisdom that settled in just the the word of wisdom and of course we know that solomon functioned in the word of wisdom that god gave him you know this incredible gift of wisdom so the, the word of wisdom the word of knowledge is when god shows you something that you have no other way of knowing that that is true and so it has been supernaturally revealed to you and so there is a piece of knowledge that that comes and is given to you and and so that is the the word of knowledge you'll Remember when Jesus talks about the, the Israelite who there is no guile, and he says, I saw you underneath the, uh, the tree, and there would be no way of Jesus seeing him underneath the tree, except that was a word of knowledge now that was uh, in the function there. We have the, the gift of faith. The gift of faith, everybody has faith to a, a degree, every Christian, it's an essential part of our life, but the gift of faith is that unique ability to trust God, in circumstances where 
where it is just a supernatural ability to trust God. We, we see an example of this would be found when, when Christ calls to Peter to get out of the boat and to walk to him on, uh, on the water. And every single bit of his intellect, experience, and, and by sight he knows this to just be absolutely impossible. It's absolutely impossible. But the gift of faith gives you the ability to trust God in the impossible. And so, you know, Peter functions in that, in that gift of the Spirit there to give you just supernatural ability to hold on to the, the promise of God in, in circumstances that, uh, that are outstanding. The gifts of healing, and, and once again, God has given to some that ability to, uh, to function in that realm. And, and to heal and so the various different gifts that are in operation of the spirit in verse 10 to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues and and so the the working of uh, miracles and and here again this is when the holy spirit chooses to override the laws of nature and so we see that there are times when uh, when the, the the working of miracles takes place the the gift of prophecy is the foretelling of god's message and uh, and so it is always in accordance with his word it will never contradict his uh, word and uh, and so the gift of prophecy the the gift of the discerning of spirits we see that's the ability to tell between false doctrine and and, and truth and you remember how satan it, it can appear as an angel of light and we see how there are false teachers that that will come into the church and there are false doctrines that will come in and and so it is that gift of the holy spirit to be able to sense and to discern when uh, when something isn't true or something isn't right satan is capable even of deceiving miracles it talks about and and is always trying to infiltrate the church and so in order to protect the church there is that ability that god gives to be able to to discern and so the discerning of spirits the gift of tongues and so the gift of tongues is that private personal uh, language that god gives to an individual whereby they can communicate directly with god and bypass bypass their uh, their consciousness and so uh, it is this language that God gives a language that the individual does not even understand, has never studied or, or knows, but they are given this language and then they are able to pray directly to God in this language. And, and what it does is that it just entering into that spiritual experience of, of praying in a language that God has given you that you don't even understand it yourself it strengthens your own faith and strengthens your own relationship and so it has an important place in the devotional life of the believer but it has a very small place in the corporate life of the church there is the the gift of the interpretation of tongues and 
And that is where tongues now can be used in a corporate environment when someone is led to speak in tongues, but there is also the gift of the interpretation of that tongue so that now those that are around and are hearing this can have understanding to what is being said. And so it is a complementary gift to the gift of tongues so that tongue speaking can be uh, advantageous uh, in a corporate uh, environment. In verse 11, he says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And, uh, and so uh, we see that there is this unity, but also there is this diversity. They are distributed not according to the will of man, but as the Spirit of God's wills and as He wills. And, and so Calvary chapels are respected for, for our biblical balance when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. And so the gifts of the Spirit, the, there is the, the wide spectrum of where churches land with regard to the gifts of the Spirit. Now, on the one hand, you have the Pentecostals, and so they are all the way to one end of that, of that extreme of the gifts. And so they place a large emphasis uh, on the experience of God. They put a lesser value on the Word of God. It is more about the experience of God. We see that to them, they also will say that, that tongues are function today, and they would say that in fact, that the gift of tongues is a sign that you're saved. And in some, they even say that if you don't speak in tongues, that you're not even saved. And so they use it as an evidence of a person's salvation. That's the one end of the extreme. On the other end of the spectrum are the Baptists. And so the Baptists fall into the cessationists. They say, yes, the, the gifts are real, but they say that they were only for the first generation of Christians, that they really only were for the apostles' time period, and, and that was just to establish the church, and then once the church was established, there has been a cessation of the spiritual gifts, and so they're what are known as cessationists. They believe that the gifts functioned back then, but they don't function today. And so in Calvary Chapel, we, we are right in the middle. We completely believe in the operation and the gifts of the Spirit, but we believe that it is the balance between the Spirit and the Word of God. And so there is the, the centrality of the Word of God in complement to the Holy Spirit. We don't believe that it is a, a sign of a person's salvation and a necessary requirement in that aspect, but we also don't believe in the cessation of the gifts and that the church has been left without these gifts to function with today. And so it's interesting that Calvert chapels, you know, we were considered too Pentecostal for the Baptists and, and, and we're too Baptist for the Pentecostals. And being in the middle, we've been kind of called Pentabaptists or Bapticostals, uh, you know, as we kind of find our way into this balanced position between, uh, between these two with the response to the, the gifts and their operation today. In verse 12, Paul says, For as the body is one, 
and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So, once again, Paul is going to use the illustration of the, uh, of the human body and, and how God has created different parts to the human body. You have fingers and toes and nose and arms and legs, and so you have all of these different parts, but all of these different parts make up your body, make up just one body. So you know, all different Christians functioning now with their various different aspects. Your fingers do different things than your toes and your nose and your mouth have different operations. But all of that now so that the body can function with the fullness of its design. So the body of Christ, one body. We are members now of the body of Christ. But each of us have different functions with in that but all of it working together still in that unity of design in that one body he says for one by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether jews or greeks whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit for in fact the body is not one member but many and so here again we see the equality men and women Scythian, barbarian greek and free slave all of us absolute equality back to that doctrine of complete equality every single person is equal at the foot of the cross there is an absolute equality of mankind at the foot of the cross he says now that there is equality, but yet there's different functions within the body of Christ. But just because you have a different function, once again, back to chauvinism, doesn't make you superior to somebody else, doesn't make you better than somebody else. And so there is that diversity, but not to compete and to, and to say which one is more important or more valuable. Everybody has been given different so that we can function with the fullness of the purpose of, uh, of the body. And so uh, he says, now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And, and so once again, you know, they were elevating certain spiritual gifts over others. And it's like, well, I don't have that gift. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a less than Christian. And, and so here again, we get into this, uh, this issue. If the whole body, verse 17, were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? And, and so, you know, if, there were 16 feet and nothing else that person would look really funny which is you know and and that's paul's kind of using his humor here a little bit you know to create this this visual visual picture here he says but now god has set the members each one of them in the body just as he pleased and if they were all one member where would the body be but now indeed there are many members yet one body and the eye cannot say to the hand i have no need of you nor again head to the feet i have no need of you no much rather those members of the bodies which seem to be weaker are necessary and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty but our presentable parts have no need but God composed the body, 
having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. So uh, he's talking now about the less honorable. It means the things that are contained inside, the heart, the lungs, the liver, the stomach, all of those parts that now they're not seen. And, and this now speaking of the people who like to work behind the scenes, people that have the, the gift of helps, that don't want to stand in the, in the foyer and greet everybody when they come in and, and don't want that, you know, that out front recognition. They, they want to just serve quietly behind the scenes where, where nobody even sees. And, and so here again, you know, Paul is saying within the body, there are those parts that are critical components to, to the body, but you don't see them working. They're, they are working. God has clothed them. So they're within the chest and within the body. And so here he's speaking of the modesty of those parts being, uh, being covered. He says that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And so that, that corporate mentality, once again, that we are in this together. Now, you are the body of Christ. And members individually... And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles and second prophets, third teachers after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. And, and so here again now Paul is listing out some of the various different offices and positions and gifts that, that the Holy Spirit functions in the giving to the church. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And, and so once again, we see that you know, Paul is talking about that, that there is the need for all of the gifts and that the Holy Spirit is the one that will give those accordingly. He says, but earnestly desire the best gifts and yet I show you a more excellent way. And so Paul is going to now move from the various different gifts to to where he's going to talk about the more excellent way, and the more excellent way is love. And we're going to come to that 13th chapter where Paul is really going to dive into what, what difference do the gifts matter if you're missing love. And so love is going to be the, the place in which Paul now is going to head in this next chapter. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention for a minute back to verse 3. Back to where Paul says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so the, the declaration Paul is talking about here is that when we have the ability to say Jesus is Lord, now, Paul isn't talking about just making a factual statement. He's not talking about the declaration that, that you believe in Jesus. He, he's talking about whether or not you are able to say, Jesus is my Lord, that he is the Lord over all, and that you have come to that place of surrender, that place of submission, that place uh, of taking in Christ and, and making him the authority 
uh, over your life. Paul isn't interested in whether or not you believe in Jesus. You can believe in Jesus as a historical figure. You can read all about the words that Jesus spoke and the things that Jesus did. You can do the same thing with Alexander the Great. You can study Alexander the Great. You can look at the way in which he conquered the world. You can see the sequence, his military strategy. You, you can learn all of these things about Alexander the Great, but have you ever met Alexander the Great? And so the question is, you can come to church and, and you can know about Jesus. You can know about his words. You can know about what he did and the impact that, that he made. But, but that's not the question. The question is, have you met Jesus Christ? In other words, have you now given your heart and your life and surrendered to Christ and invited him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. Here we see that, you know, that Paul says that that can't happen without the work of the, without the, work of the Holy Spirit. And for every single person that has entered into the kingdom of God, there came a, a moment there came a moment when, when you realized the truth of your situation. You realized the truth that you've committed sin. You recognize that God doesn't allow sin in heaven. And you've come to the recognition, the understanding that you have no ability to get the sin that you have already committed off of your life and off of your soul. And that you are stuck and that you have a problem that you can't solve. And that problem that you can't solve is gonna have eternal consequences if you leave it unsolved. And there was a moment when the Holy Spirit said to you that God's provided the solution to your problem, that Jesus lived that perfect life that you did not live and that you cannot live and that nobody else has ever lived. And that he died for your sins and that he is the soul washer that will wash away your sins so that when you stand before God, you will stand before him without any sins on your soul and you can enter into the kingdom of God. And there was that, that immediate recognition in your soul that that's truth, that, that there was that confirmation that, that this is right, that this is true, that, that I need Jesus and and we move the Holy Spirit moved us to then take action on that and to and to invite Jesus that that I need now to have those sins forgiven and and so we invited Christ into our life and we and we entered into our family and into the family of God and, and you see we started by first being curious and and inquisitive and interested and you know, and we started to hear all about it, and, and, and it took that moment when, when we stopped investigating it, and we were moved by the Holy Spirit to take action on it, and we moved into the family of God. And this morning, I wanted to make sure that we ended our service with that opportunity. If, if you've been out there and, and you've never stepped in, then, then you're outside of the family and you've been, and you've been listening and you've been hearing. And, 
And the Holy Spirit is telling you that this is truth and that you need to respond. That's God's love drawing you into the kingdom because God wills that none should perish when God created you. He created you for this moment. He created you to be united with him. He created you to overcome the sin in your life and to receive his solution so that you could be with him for all of eternity. And so, if that's you today, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, and, and, and I will tell you what happens is, is that you get very uncomfortable. The flesh starts to get very uncomfortable and it feels hot in the room and all of a sudden, you know, the, and the Spirit's just working on you, just mm, talking to you. And, and, and the Spirit and the flesh, they war against each other. Your Spirit is telling you, don't you dare stand up. And the Spirit is telling you, stand up and go. And the flesh is saying, sit down, get back here. What are you doing? And, and there is that inner battle Battle, but that's you now. God gave you the free will to choose to listen to his spirit and come or to be bound up in the flesh and to be separated from him. And you have to decide what you want. And the Holy Spirit is calling you. We're going to worship through a song and, and this is time for you now. If you have been on the outside and looking in, this is your chance to step up and step in and enter into the family. If you want to become a part of the family, you stand up and come forwards as we worship. Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for drawing each and every one of us into your family, into one body, the body of Christ. Thank you for cleansing us, forgiving us, sealing us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for writing our name in the Lamb's book of life that we're adopted into your family. We thank you that one day we will know you as we are known by you and we will behold you in your beauty and your glory and we'll be a part of your kingdom forever. What a glorious future, what a glorious promise, what an absolute hope that we live in. Father, we ask that you would just help us to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge. Help us to continue to embrace our identity in Christ. Help us to stand up and affirm your divine order, your divine roles, your divine gender, and your divine equality. Lord, help us to live out your order, your purpose for your glory. Father, minister to us, meet us. Help us to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit as you continue to mold us into the image and likeness of Jesus. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen.